Welcome to Stories of Hope. This is a podcast by the Dream Center where you will hear from people who have stories that once seemed hopeless. People whose stories of redemption and life transformation are so powerful they can only be possible by the power of Jesus. Hey everyone, my name is Tatum and I'm here with Joey. Hey guys, how you doing? We are on the leadership team here at the Dream Center and today we will be talking with Tony Brown. He is our donation scheduling manager for our resale stores for the Dream Center. So hey Tony, how are you? Hey Tatum, hey Joey, it's good to be here with you guys today. Yeah, we are so excited to hear about your story of hope. So Tony, why don't you start off by telling us what it was like growing up in your family? Wow. Well, I can start by saying uh, growing up in my family was both typical and atypical. Um, You know, growing up, I was born in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And so I grew up, you know, as a child primarily in the 80s. And, you know, we had the typical nuclear family, mom, dad, two kids, the dog, so that's like the half kid or something like that. And I just kind of just growing up in that environment. But at the same time, it was a little atypical because um, my parents, um, my dad was an entrepreneur, so he had his own business. And so he started that business in 1977. Um, and, or no, sorry, 75 actually started that business. And then I came along a few months later. And so um, they moved from uh, Buffalo, New York, Niagara Falls to come here and start that business. And so um, when I was probably about two or so, my dad actually bought 10 acres of land and put us out in the middle of it. And just me and my sister just had this kind of just playland uh, with ourselves. And we were kind of isolated, but we weren't isolated. But at the same time, you know, we didn't have a lot of people around us. Um, what we did do a lot of was just kind of just hanging out and playing. And so we were afforded a lot of opportunities, too, through my dad. So, you know, we had a house. We had a guest facility. You know, we just had things that weren't normal. But for us, it was normal. And so it kind of put us off in a, in a way to think differently uh, from the outside world. And then as we continued to grow up, uh, my dad started to do different things to help us understand the world was different than what we, the bubble he had created for us. And so we actually spent a lot of time learning stuff. Uh, he actually invited some people to stay with us. And so they stayed in our guest facility for a few months, actually, a family that was transitioning from the military. And then when I became a teenager, he even took me out and let me see the bigger world. And that's when it really just changed my eyes and started to change how I thought about people and even my career trajectory moved forward from that. Can you share a little bit about what that experience specifically was like for you? Um, yeah. So for me, you know, my dad spent time with my sister and I, like he would take us not typically like, you know, he wouldn't like, he would play with us, but he wasn't like the coach at the ball games and that kind of parent. But when we got to about middle school age, he would take us out every Wednesday night. It was our night with him. And we would read the newspaper. We would talk about the events and current events. And he was just trying to get our minds going and thinking differently. And then as that experience worked, he, uh, when I turned about 15, 16, he took me out uh, to some of the neighborhoods in Greenville, some of the um, ghetto neighborhoods, other things like that. Because what happened was I grew up in Powdersville and went to the Wren schools. And so I was in a very um, white world. So being African-American, being in a very white world, I had no idea of other stuff going on. And so he took me to these, to these other communities and say, hey, this is how, you know, people of color live. This is how, you know, things go on with some of these folks. And not everybody has the same opportunities afforded to you that you do. And so what happened was I got a passion for helping people at that point. I was already ingrained in me through watching my parents and what they did. But at that point, I said, this is what I want to go to school for. I want to go to school and make a difference in the lives of others. I want to let them know there's something different out there for them. You don't have to grow up in poverty forever. You don't have to stay in the hood. You don't have to keep doing these things. You can do something different. There's something better for you, and you can take advantage of it. You know, I heard heard you speaking about the difference that your dad made in your life, and that's awesome. 
um, and the relationship that you have with him. And you want through that you wanted to have um, make a difference in other people's lives. Now I also know that you're a Christian, and uh, and so thinking through that, when did that become a reality of Jesus and knowing how what the real difference was and people what they needed in your life and in their lives? And I'll start back by saying, so when I was about seven or eight years old is when I gave my life to Christ. But what happened was growing up, I didn't get the discipleship, you know, the true discipleship that I needed, you know, and I can't, you know, my parents did the best they could with it, but, you know, they weren't really versed in it as well. And then the relatives I had who were, you know, regular churchgoers who were supposed to be the Christians would say, well, you have to do this to be a Christian. And it was like these set of rules. And if I messed up, well, then you can't really know Jesus yet. And so it kind of pushed me away for a long time. And then as I got older and started in my work world, I was probably in my mid-20s, and I met a pastor at the gym. Uh, I was working at the gym, and we talked, and he came over to where I was working at and just took a tour because I was in social work at that time. I was working with uh, small children and families. And he said something to me that really started to trigger it. He said to me, this is your ministry. Whether you realize or not, this is your ministry. This is what you're doing. And so as I started to grow in that and start to understand, okay, so I'm doing ministry. And it just blew my mind, like me doing ministry? Jesus has got me. I don't get that. And then when I, you know, after I got married and then I started, you know, really studying it and, you know, started really attending church, um, I learned it was about relationship. And that relationship with Jesus, and he was changing me. And so what happened was it was just like this natural progression into this is what makes a difference in your people's lives. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. He's the one that fixes it all. I'm a tool that he uses and I get to be that tool, but it's him that makes the difference through his power. He can teach people those things. So if I use, use his words, let him speak through me. Then what happens is I can speak life to people. I can help people walk in freedom. As I'm hearing definitely changed your trajectory as far as helping people, right? Oh, well, tremendously, because at that point, it wasn't all on me anymore. It wasn't, I didn't, you know, have to, I didn't have the power. People's success wasn't based on me. Their failure wasn't based on me. And, th- and when you're in social work, that is a huge thing to realize that you don't have to take credit for anybody's success, and you're not responsible for their failure if they, dis- if they make a choice not to step into something. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to do and do everything um, in my power and what God's called me to do, then I can walk in, in freedom. I can sleep at night. I can feel that I've done everything he's called me to. And that freedom is an awesome thing, isn't it? Oh, it, it's the best thing ever to have that freedom to say, I can walk in here. And it's not all dependent on me at all. It is not dependent on me because I'm not that smart. And as I've grown into that and realized that I've, you know, done pastoral care at my church for years. And I still remember conversations where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I just said something. And I know that wasn't me because I'm not that brilliant or I've done something and it's not my thought processes because I can't come up with that. It's him working through me. And so when you let go of that control and really let go of trying to hold on to that power, because you don't have that power, really, you don't have that control. And when you realize that and let go of it, it is freeing. And then you do get to be so much more impactful. Absolutely. So it sounds like you have had a different perspective when it comes to serving people, but um, and a, a perspective that is centered on the gospel, which is so beautiful. But was there ever a time where you felt hopeless in your life? Um, for me, hopelessness, 
believe it or not, I've never felt totally hopeless. I think when I did feel hopeless is what right before I received Christ, because being a, a, a kid and feeling like nobody liked you, like you couldn't make friends you know, you didn't measure up. There was nothing there to help you, you know, behave yourself. Cause as a, as a young kid, I was not the best behaved child. I'm going to be honest. I was spending a lot of time at the principal's office. Um, I got into a lot of fights at school. A lot of different things happened and I just needed some peace. And so, you know, I remember vividly watching a TV preacher and he was just talking and my mom was getting me and my sister ready to go out and he was talking and talking about, Hey, if you need, you know, and why we need Jesus and what he can do for you. And so my mom put the coat on me and my sister got our coats on, we're in the car, the TV's off. We're getting on the interstate um, to go to Greenville for something. And I sit there in the backseat and pray to pray and ask Jesus just to be in my life and help me be better. Um, and then from that point on, I've never really felt hopelessness. I've always realized that there's something bigger watching out for me and there's a purpose for me. And so I live my life that way where, you know, hey, nothing is a huge, huge deal because Christ has overcome all of it already. So I don't have to panic about anything. Yeah, I can worry from time to time. But when I sit back and lie, it's this disposition of, hey, Christ has got it. Everything's okay. Jesus is taking care of it. I just got to be trusting in him. And so... Um, if I get to a point where I start to feel hopeless, it always comes, always comes back to him and focus on him first. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, you know, as I was sitting here um, and, and hearing your life and hearing the things that you, God taught you in your life, you know, it brought me to this, this thought, like in our lives, he begins to change us. He begins to redirect us. He begins to help us. And he helps us realize what's important and what's not important. And I, I have been in that spot uh, myself and personally. Uh, but would you share with our audience today, like, uh, what is most important in your life right now? And, and, and why is that? Why is it important? Uh, what's most important to me right now is just winning people for Christ and people focusing more on him and his purpose for this world. Uh, and it's important to me because I look at the condition that our world is in. And irregardless of people's politics and, you know, you know, their personal perspectives, the world is very broken right now. And we are depending so much on things that aren't important. You know, we're putting so much stock into things that don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. You know, so for me, it's where does the foundation start at? Where does absolute truth come from? And that's where we have to start at, you know, because we're, you know, we're people forget, you know, we've just gone through one of the most contentious elections we've ever had. And I look at people and think, you're acting like politics is going to save us. We're repeating the same mistakes we saw them repeat in the Bible when the Jews thought Jesus was a political savior. He wasn't a political savior. He's a savior of our souls, of who we are as people. And so we have to get back to that because we've, we've drifted so far. And I just don't I want people to stop drifting, and I want them to start coming back to Jesus and focus on him first and leave everything else to the side. And if we can do that, and that's, that's, my, that's the most important thing to me right now, is just having this reconciliation where we understand who is in charge, who created us, what our purpose is. And I just want people to have that freedom to know what their purpose is and live in that. Man, that'll preach. I'm telling you, it will. And, 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 and you know, you're so right that we have, in our culture today, we look at people and other things as our Savior. But we know that Christ is the only thing, only person, only, only one willing um, to save us personally because He loves us, and that's that relationship that you talked about. And the beauty of it all of of the gospel itself is that 
all of our hearts through sin are wavering, that we will we will wander, but God offers us the ability to come back to him and to draw near to him. And so, Tony, your desire to bring people back into the fold of God is so beautiful and it's it's important and it's necessary to have a, a vision to see that there is a, an importance and a um, an urgency for even Christians that may grow weary for them to be in community, for them to come back and to realize that there is forgiveness and there is um, a better way of life that is found through Christ. Yeah, I mean, that's that agrees my heart to see what happens with people. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, you know, and I'm by means am not perfect and I have my days and things mess up too for me, but it's always that repentance, you know, once you said Tatum and coming back and realize we need to come back. And, you know, it breaks my heart when people don't recognize how far away they are and that they need to come back. Um, But that's my primary thing right now that I'm just so passionate about. And as you said, urgent about, there's a sense of urgency in me every day to move that needle and get people back to him Um, at home with my family, uh, my boys, um, you know, I've had, I've been blessed to baptize both my boys and talk and talk with them about Christ and watch them start to move into, to move into a place where they can start to do that too and start to be an example. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I had to tell my youngest one, he plays basket. They both play basketball, but my youngest one is like, he's the team star. He runs the team, you know, basically everything runs through him and he leads that team. And one of his teammates actually saw on Instagram that he got baptized. And so we're at practice, and Colton says to me, uh, Coach, did Chandler get baptized? And I said, yeah. How did you know? He said, well, uh, my dad was doing it through Instagram, and I saw it there. And so I'm like, wow. So my nine-year-old's making a difference and doesn't even realize it yet. And so what happens is Chandler has an outburst at practice, and I get on to him, and then I talk to him later about it and say, look, dude, you don't realize the influence you have. Yes, you lead this team, and everybody wants to make sure that they do well, but they don't want to be afraid of you. And then the other side of that is, too, because you got baptized, you have a platform now because they even saw that. So you have to carry yourself in a different light. And so I think it really started to turn with him. Oh, I got to be different. And so he went to the game and apologized to all of his teammates before the game started and said, I need to be a better person. I need to be a better leader. And I need you guys. And so to watch him say, hey, there's forgiveness and repentance and then move forward is an awesome thing. And so I want to model that for him. And then I want him to be able to live that out. And I want to model that for everybody, for everybody I come across so that they can see me live it out and they can start to live it out too. You know, you said something very powerful, you know, telling people that they can come back. And you know, the thing about it is there's no distance that somebody can go that they can't come back. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel. Amen. Amen. I mean, and that's what people, I want people to see is you can't go back. And I guess God blessed me by letting me be a parent because I get to see how he loves us and how he sees us. And I don't care what my kids do, a hard fall back, they go, they can't escape my love. I may be upset with them. I may not be happy with them. I may have to discipline them, but they'll never escape my love. And the things that make them happy, the thing when I see them having joy, that's what just fills my heart. And God lets me have a glimpse of that. I still remember a few years ago, uh, they were both much younger and I was at a Bible study at one of my neighbor's houses. And then I'm walking back down the street and from a distance, I see the two of them just running from one end of the driveway to the other, just having fun on a spring day. And I'm like, I got to give them that. They get to enjoy this because of what their father's providing for them. And, you know, just the simplest things. And then God whispers to me, 
that's the same thing. When I provide for you and I see you living and enjoying that and moving through that, I get that feeling a thousand times more that you've got right now in your heart because you're living in that freedom. You've come back. You're, you're basking in that, what I've provided for you, that I've taken care of you. You know, that's very true because uh, you and I both have boys and, and I, something happened the other day and, and I saw something and, and I was, I was not happy in that moment as a dad. Um, and, but God reminded me and, and showed me an example of, well, you know, that's how I feel when you take your own path and you do your own thing. And so what you said is, is powerful because I see how Christ sees me through my family at times. Oh, oh, that's definitely when I tell my boys and they, they know I will say this to them. I say, if you would just do what I told you to do when I told you to do it, how I told you to do it, we wouldn't be in this predicament. And I'm thinking, God says that to me a lot. If you would just do <laughs> what I asked you to do, what, when I asked you to do it and did it the way that I prescribed, it would be so much easier for you right now. But yeah, we want to take our own paths. And then it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. So changing gears a little bit, I know that all of this idea of following God's plan and, and purpose that he has instilled within you, how did you come about working at the Dream Center? I know that you've had many years in um, the human services sector of maybe nonprofit and social work and things like that, but how, how are you now at the Dream Center? So, yeah, I had a passion. I grew up, I said, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to take sociology, psychology classes, history classes, I'm going to make a difference in life. And so I went into the social work field and then I kind of got into the nonprofit sector about, you know, in the early part of my career too. And then I was kind of helping manage some things and do some things and put on different pieces of it. But I still had this passion for helping people. So I went back and started working in, you know, the public sector, working for the state, bringing them, and I would go back to a nonprofit for a minute and then come back to the state. And so probably about eight years ago, I decided to step out um, my faith was growing. I was very active in my church and I had this passion still to disciple and work with people. And this job at Miracle Hill showed up and it was like, wow. And so I stepped into it and it was ministry and I was like, wow, full-time ministry. I get to do this. And then didn't realize how really hard it was going to be. And it took a toll on, you know, kind of my marriage. You know, I mean, being available for my kids. And so I stepped out of that for a little, I stepped out of that after a couple of years. Um, and then I went back into nonprofit again and started managing again. And this time I had an even bigger role. Uh, first, I was just a facilities manager uh, at Miracle Hill, where the children's home. And then I stepped into another nonprofit where I was the operations director. So I had a whole lot on me there, too. And working through that environment and some of the people there, it just kind of just really wore on me again and wore me out. And I was like, I'm not I'm not getting filled up. I'm giving a lot, but I'm not being filled up. So I need to step away from that. And so I stepped away from that, kind of just did some private stuff for about a year or so. And then I saw this other job opening at another agency that's here within a dream center. Um, applied for it, put Chris down as a reference, our executive director here. And so it's funny, it's just how God lines things up. I'm just thinking about it now, how he lines things up. So it's a Saturday morning. Um, I'm like, I need to go do something for my car. So I went to go, you know, either it was oil change or something I had to go get. And then I left there and I said, I had to pick up this practice jersey for my baby for his football, football practice. And so I said, I can go to Easley or Anderson. So I said, let me go to Easley today. So I drove to Easley, picked up the jersey, had passed the gas station, said I'll stop back by to get gas on the way back home. So I pull into the gas station and I pull up at the pump 
And at the pump next to me is Chris Wilson. <laughs> of all the people in the world to pull up next to at the pump. And, you know, Chris and I, you know, we, you know, we kind of cross paths occasionally, but I hadn't seen her in a while. And so she says, Hey, Tony, how are you? I said, Hey, how are you, Chris? She says, Hey, I heard you applied for this job with this agency. Um, and she said, um, well, are you looking for full-time or part-time? I said, I'd rather have full-time and this position is part-time. And she says, well, you know, I have this thing coming open if you're interested. You know, do you want to work with, do you want to still do ministry or you want to help people? I said, well, ministry is where my heart is. That's really where it is. And you don't have to work directly helping people to do ministry. And the people I need to be working with directly most are the people that live under my same roof and not shortchange them to help other people all the time. Because I think sometimes I did do that. I put them on the back burner and shortchange them in the pursuit of trying to help everybody else. And so Chris says, hey, we'll look at it, see if you like this position, if it's something you want to do. So I looked at it, kind of pondered it, prayed about it. And then um, this was on a Saturday. On a Monday, I emailed Chris and said, hey, I'm interested in this. I've applied in online on Indeed. And the rest is history after that. <laughs> it just came here. And this has been one of the best places I could come to be at. Um, I feel comfortable here. I feel all the experience I've had with nonprofits and social work. Um, and all the other talents that God has given me are being utilized here in a way that's um, promoting the gospel and leading this, this ministry forward. Uh, a lot of things in ministry challenge us. Just because we're all part of the Dream Center doesn't mean that we get to skip past the challenges because they come sometimes at a rapid rate. But let me ask you, and people are listening, what are some of the challenges that, and I heard a little bit of that, you know, you let ministry at times take over from and keep you from your family. And I'm guilty of that too. And I had to go and look at that personally, even myself. Um, but what challenges you on a daily basis and how do you overcome those challenges for the people that are listening? Uh, what challenges me on a daily basis are thoughts, thoughts of, you know, that Satan can play with you. He can tell you, Hey, you're not good enough to do this or Hey, watch out, you know, you know, who are you to help somebody or what can you, what can you really offer? And so always putting that doubt. So one of the things I always have to fight is that self-doubt and uh, that he, that creeps in. I let him put in there and I usually fight that pretty successfully, but that's a daily battle. And what happens is when you start to let him win, it does start to take me away from family because I start to try to overachieve and do more to prove my worth, which I don't have to prove my worth because um, God's already told me I'm worthy. Jesus came and died for me. I am worthy. I don't have to prove anything to anybody because he's already said I am. And if he says I am, then that's what matters. And so realizing that and embracing that each and every day and so that I don't do, take the steps that hurt other people and hurt and take away from my kids and my wife and the life that we have, that's, that's that challenge. And so I've, it's, it's a daily thing. I work on it daily. I ask people, hey, make sure you keep me out the office at a certain time if I'm still here because I don't need to be here because I need to be with with the other people in my life that matter. And believe me, I realize how much joy comes from that when you're able to do those things and those memories, because you can't get those back. They're priceless. You know, being able to coach my boys is priceless. Being able to spend that time with them is priceless. You, you can't get that time back. And so I look on the time that we've done that before when we were that soccer family, where we were at the soccer fields practically every day. And I look at that from five years ago, six years ago, and think, wow. And there, was, and there were great memories from that. You know, one of the best things I ever saw from that was when my oldest one, he was about nine, and then his little brother is about four or five. 
and I watched them after a game in which my oldest one didn't play very well. The game got called, so we, it was no contest because of lightning, but we were probably going to get trounced, which we never really ever got beat. And my little one looks up at his brother, and he says to him, good game. But you could tell he understood it wasn't a great game. And then I watched them put their backs to him, and they're walking off this field in their uniforms together, side by side. And I can just, and for a moment, it almost made me want to cry because I'm looking at these two boys, and the little one's consoling the big one, but they're both just together. And so that's what that's, you know, seeing that and realizing when I take a step back and don't let ministry run me, but I let, you know, I kind of run the ministry of my family and to do it that way, that's the most important thing. That's so good. Your very first and most important ministry in your life is your family, and that's that's so great. I, I get to see that with Joey, and I get to see that with you guys, um, which is really encouraging to me as, you know, a, a woman that one day wants to have a family. So thank you so much for sharing that, Tony. Um, so, Tony, what is a piece of encouragement you would like to leave uh, those that are listening today? piece of encouragement for everybody is we all matter, and we all have something to offer. We have gifts to offer. God's endowed us all with at least one spiritual gift and we can use that gift we all have something to offer and so you can find that all you have to do is just surrender and do and take that time to do that um i tell that to my you know my mom has great gifts I, you know i love her to death and she she is encouraging and her timing is impeccable <laughs> her timing is impeccable with doing things um and my sister is uh we're very much the same um, if you ask, um, and her gifts came out too, if you ask, um, you know, when it comes to ministry and organizing and connecting with people, we're both very gifted at that. Um, she has done that through her church. Um, and of course she stepped back too, because we're very much alike to do with ministry and we let it kind of run our lives. And so she actually stepped back and she's done that too. So there's always that hope of, Hey, you've got these gifts, you can use them and God's going to use you in a powerful way. If we just make sure that we take our time and listen to him man what awesome words of encouragement because i know that i've been in that spot too to realize man i've I've got to slow down let god lead me and not get ahead of him and trying to to be be the savior you know and just let him be the savior of my life and help other people but i just want to say thank you for sharing those things tony with us today and man, what an encouragement to our listening audience and to me today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to be here today and chat with you guys. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on Stories of Hope. We will see you next time. And remember, one person can't do everything, but every person can do something. Thanks for joining us today for Stories of Hope. For more information about the Dream Center, visit our website at dreamcenterpc.org. Additional resources related to today's episode can be found in our podcast show notes.